Welcome to the Grace Point Church Podcast. Here at GPC, we want you to know God, love people, and live sent. From wherever you're listening, we hope you're encouraged by this week's message. If you want to learn more about Grace Point, head over to gracepointchurch.net. And now, this week's message. Today's going to be a, a participation Sunday, okay? Hear that. I already asked you the first question. This is another question. I want you to be thinking about this. Throughout the message, what is your favorite chapter in the book of Psalms, okay? Favorite chapter, you have the rest of the message to tell me what that is. Think about it, and I'll ask you in in a little bit about that. So here's the deal. I have, in January, first Sunday in January, it will mark 33 years of being in uh, the pastoral ministry. I have never done what I'm about to do today. All right, so this is something that I thought about, dreamed about, heard of another pastor in San Diego did it one time, and I thought, I would love to do that, but I am scared to death about doing that. So we're going to try something today, so you hang on, let's get through this first part. We're going to instruct, and then we're going to demonstrate on what it means to be in this relationship with God. We have studied in this Emmanuel series the idea, the concept of God with us, and we saw that God is with us in the garden the very first week of looking back in Genesis. That it's not just a Christmas carol that we sing about. It's not just Emmanuel, O come, O come, Emmanuel at Christmas time. It is literally, we see from the beginning of time that God created us for union and communion. And that union and communion is established in the garden with Adam and Eve. And yeah, they messed it all up, okay? They made some bad choices. Bad choices lead to bad results, okay? And it, it kind of messed everything up. But here's the beauty of it. God still wants union and communion. He so much wants it that his entire existence of the planet Earth is built on the narrative of God with us. We saw it in Genesis 1, 2, and 3. And then you go all the way to the book of Revelation. You go to the very last words, the last chapter uh, of Revelation, and you find these words. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them, and they will be his people, God himself with them. God with us, Emmanuel, with us, God is with them. So I want you to see, if this is the beginning of the Bible and this is the end of the Bible, that in the beginning, God created us to be in union communion with him. And at the very end of it, at the end, the climax of all mankind, God is going to bring his people back together to be with him. And everything that happens in between the beginning and the ending of the story of humanity is about God bringing and restoring that union to him. That's the Bible. In a nutshell, right there. But I want you to see that this is the narrative. This is not just a Christmas story. In fact, we even talked about last week how God leads us into these desert experiences. That even in the desert, the darkness, the pain, the suffering of life, you can do nothing wrong and end up in the desert. In fact, you might do everything right and end up in the desert. That is just a part of God's working in us. Here's the reality that we all must settle in on God doesn't promise he's going to remove the problems from us. He's going to take them away. But he does promise that he will be with us, Emmanuel, in our problems. There's nowhere in Scripture. In fact, if you make getting problem-free your number one aim in life, you will be sorely disappointed and you will be incredibly disappointed with God because he never promised that. 
He said, in this world you will have tribulations, but take heed, I have overcome the world. So really, he's promised to get us through them, be with us in them, wherever we might be. But I want to talk today about God is with us in space and time. God is with us in space and time. He never leaves us. In fact, this will bring maybe some encouragement if you're going through one of those deserts. Hebrews 13, uh, uh, 13 verse 5 says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Just keep saying it to yourself. I will never leave you nor forsake you. I will never leave you. This is God speaking. I will never leave you. He says it in the Old Testament. It's repeated in the New Testament. I will never leave you or forsake you. So we confidently say, the Lord is my helper. You'll not know God is your helper unless you have to depend on God, unless you need him to be your helper. God is your helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? From this, God has been working and drawing us to himself. But what we will see in the message today that where God is the initiator, God also wants us to initiate. So far, everything I've talked about in this series has been God initiating and us responding. Today, we're going to see it flip. The the script is going to be flipped where we are to be initiators in this. We're to be a part of this as a part of God working in us. We're to be responsive to what God has done. So what happens after God leads him through the desert? Well, you go to Psalm 106 and you find a little bit of the story there. He he rebuked the Red Sea and it became dry and he led them through, um, through the deep as through the desert. And again, they would have never experienced the Red Sea they would have never experienced God's provision had it not been leading them there, there and delivering them. And the waters covered the adversaries. Not one of them was left, and they believed in his words, and they sang praises. Their response to their desert, to God's deliverance, was worship. Worship is a response that should flow from us. It should be a natural response that flows out of our hearts and into our lives. See, when God works, we worship. When you have experienced God working in your life, you should ex- there should be an expression, a natural expression of your worship. And when we worship, what does God do? He moves in. God inhabits the praises of his people. He sets enthroned. He sets with us. He is abiding with us when we are worshiping. So I want you to see the connection. You might go through the desert, but God's going to lead you through the desert. He's going to do things in your life, all in an effort to reunite us to himself. This whole worship response thing is absolutely fundamental throughout. God's people are constantly creating space, sacred space, and sacred times of worship. When Noah got off the boat after the 40 days, the 40, the, the 40 days of, of the flood and all, all that experience, okay, got off the boat, the first thing he does is he builds an altar. He creates a space and a time to worship. God establishes a covenant with him, and he builds an altar. You go to Abram. Abram has a, 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 an encounter with God in the land of Ur. And in that land of Ur, he makes his way, follows the Lord all the way to the place of called Shechem. And whenever he follows the Lord, the Lord made a covenant with him. And what does he do? The first thing he does when he gets to Shechem is he builds an altar, a place of worship. 
Four more times he's going to build altars. Abraham, his son Isaac will build altars and dig wells because what are they doing again and again and again? They are reconnecting with God. They're establishing times, sacred times, sacred spaces so they can worship in response to a God that is working in them. He is with them. Now let's go to the book of Exodus. You, read, you read, should read Genesis right in the book of Exodus. When you read Exodus, you find in chapter 3, God meets with Moses on a mountain and a burning bush, all alone, private, quiet time with God moment. In that private moment with God, he encounters God. It changes his life. He begins to follow God and begins to lead the people of, out, people of Israel out. That was a personal encounter with God. We are going to have personal encounters with God. You're going to see something demonstrated later on. It's going to be a personal encounter with God. But it also leads to a corporate worship of God. Our encounters with God should lead to corporate worship with God. And the way you start Exodus is you begin with an individual having an encounter with God. The way you end the book of Exodus chapter 40, we just read it, is a corporate worship time in the tabernacle. Okay? That tabernacle becomes the representation of God in 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 his present manifestation, okay? It's called the Shekinah glory of God. Okay, big Hebrew word there. Appears 100 and uh, I think uh, 92 times in, in in scripture in the Old Testament. Oh, stay corrected, 129 times. And of those 129 times, 43 times are referring to God's Shekinah, his dwelling with the people. I want you to see what God says and how it connects to our worship, our sacred times and spaces, and God with us. Exodus chapter 25, verse 8. Let them, let his people make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst. I Shekinah in their midst. I will be in their midst. We want a relationship with God. We want that union and communion. Well, God is wanting that for us. But here's the condition. We got to build him a sanctuary. We got to make a space. We got to make a place. We got to make a time. We got to make a place for him to come and dwell in that place. Okay, now I got a whole Bible worth of worth of information I can't give you right now. Just to say this, that this is going to continue into the temple, but this is going to continue in the New Testament into our individual lives, where that sacred time, that sacred place, is happening inside of us. But I say this as I said, week one, Emmanuel means God with us. But here's the real burning question: Am I with God? He is the initiator. But am I responding? And there are times that he wants us to initiate. Like in James chapter 4 when he says, draw near to me. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. So God is waiting for us to draw near to him. First, uh, Matthew chapter 6 verse 33. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and then all these things will be added to you. So again, there are times that we are initiating. This is a reciprocal relationship. This is a symbiotic relationship where we are connecting with him. And as we connect with him, he is connecting with us. So let me read the verse again. Exodus 25, verse 8. Let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell 
in their midst. If you were to take the book of Exodus and divide it in half, you could start at chapter 1 and go to chapter 18, and you would find those chapters are God delivering the people, okay? Delivering the people in those first chapters. In chapter 19 to chapter 40, God is giving direction to his people. He's delivering them. He's directing them in the last part. When he's directing them, he's giving the Ten Commandments. This is the moral fabric of your society. This is how you're going to be guided. They're in the Sinai Desert. Chapter 19, verse 1 says they've been in the desert for about nine months. And so they're there for about nine months. And in that season of being in the desert, they are getting the Ten Commandments given to them. But also, don't miss this. A lot of people stop reading Exodus when they get to the tabernacle. Because it just doesn't make sense. That tabernacle represents the sanctuary in which God is going to dwell. So let's look at chapter 40, verse 1 and 2. And I want you to notice what God is calling Moses to lead the people to do. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, On the first day of the first month, time, sacred time. Here's a sacred time set aside for. What's it set aside for? For to the erect the tabernacle, a sacred place, a tent of meeting. And in that tent of meeting is where the Shekinah glory of God dwells. But notice this again. There's a sacred time. There's a sacred place. It's coming together. It's what we're doing because we are, we are wanting to connect with our Emmanuel. My question to you again is, Emmanuel, God with us, but are you with God? Are you making time, creating space for God to work in your life. When you look at this, I want to give us three rules that you see throughout this chapter. I don't have time to read all the verses again, so let's just high level, real quickly, shotgun these out. Notice this, first of all, there's a personal preparation. Now, I have to tell you this, in all of my years of being a follower of Jesus, I have heard zero messages on preparation. But yet, I think it may be the most important thing. What do you do? How do you prepare yourself to meet with God, to be with God? How how do we come together? We've got to set him as the priority. This room at 1045 is a sacred place at a sacred time. And I need to make this a priority, a big rock in my life. I'm going to start my week here. You're going to start your week here. It's not like, hey, there's, it's too dark and cloudy to go to the lake. Or, hey, we don't have anything else to do today. Fill in the blank. I'm going to go to church. No, no, no. This is a sacred time. This is a sacred place where God wants to meet with us. This is a corporate gathering. But you know what? He wants to do it every day. He wants to connect with us every day. He wants sacred times and places every day of our life. What does that look like? you got to give him the first. got to give him the best. Give him the first moment of every day, give him the first day out of every week, give him the first dime out of every dollar, give him the first decision, first consideration out of every decision. That's my mantra in my own life. It's like I give him the first, I give him the best. When you look at chapter 40, verse 9, you see this instruction from the Lord, then you shall take the anointing oil and anoint the tabernacle. Again, that was where it represented where God was. Anoint the tabernacle and all that is in it. And consecrate, two different callings, anoint and consecrate it and all of its furniture so that it may become holy. 
Don't get lost in the word holy. I know it's kind of an intimidating word, but think about it set apart. Think about it right. Think about it made presentable to God. I want my life presentable to God. I want this room presentable to God. I want this experience presentable to God. God's holy. He calls us to be holy because he is holy. So I want to make it. How do I get there? Anointing and consecration. Again, I know I'm doing Old Testament disservice by not diving deeper into this, but just think about this. Anointing means to make holy. Consecrate means to set apart. Literally, to make holy. They would anoint in the Near Eastern religions. So this was in true of, of Yahweh worship, of the Most High God worship. This is true throughout these. When you anointed something, you were making that thing holy. When you would set something apart, you would consecrate. You would say, this is set apart for something unique. Our lives need to be made holy, need to be set apart for God to work in, for God to show up in. And when God works, we worship. And God's going to call us to this, again, symbiotic relationship because he's going to say, if you seek me, you will find me when you search for me with all your heart. If you're not going to be willing to search for God, draw near to God, make God a priority of your life, if you're not going to do the preparation work, then you will expect the, the heavens to be brass. You can expect to feel as if God is distant. Are you doing the work? Are you doing the time? Are you setting yourself aside so that God can make you holy? Now, a lot to cover here. I want to throw something up on the screen that is my personal trellis, if you will. Think about a grape vine. You don't just let it grow on the ground. You get stomped on the ground. The grapes won't last. There's so many things. You don't have to be a horticulturalist to figure that part out. Grow the vine on the trellis, more fruitful, productive. This is my trellis. I've been working on this. I'm still working on it. This is my trellis, breathing. You're going to, I'm going to talk about some of these, demonstrate some of these. Breathing is the idea of calming my heart down. I take this, 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 this time multiple times in a day, and I will do this. I'll do this when I go to bed at night. I'll work on my breathing. Don't, think, don't, don't get lost in Eastern mysticism. Hang with me on this. Uh, benevolent detachment. You want to learn about, more about this? Read John Eldridge's book, get your, Take Your Life Back. And the whole idea is I release everything and everyone to God. There's a lot of things that can weigh on me. Release everyone and everything to God. Then there's Sabbath and there's silence and there's solitude. And I lump those together. It's just this whole disconnecting from the world. There are times that I just need to disconnect. I need to put my phone over there. I need to walk away. I need to ignore the phone, ignore the notifications. I've got to have those times in my life. But the, notice the, the, the next level down is multiply. Any discipleship model that does not result in me multiplying my faith into others is a faulty plan from the beginning. Go and make disciples of all nations. Calls his disciples. I want you to be with me so that I can send you out. Okay? There's a multiplying effect. But there's also generosity. The whole idea of me being generosity, giving a dime out, the first dime out of every dollar, that's just biblical, friends. And that's just the beginning of what generosity could mean and look like. And I'm going to set that as a priority in my life. But there's also service. How can I serve? How can I help? Jesus said, I did not come to be served, but to serve and give my life a ransom for many. Mark 10, 45. 
So what does service look like in my life? Then there's holy pauses. Literally, in the times in the day, I will walk out of my office. In fact, if you drive by the church sometime, you see Mike walking on the back levee uh, behind the church building. I'm not looking for flowers or anything like that. I may be looking at the flowers, but I'm walking, disconnecting from the world, taking a holy pause, and just meeting with God for a few moments before I go back to whatever else I'm doing. Scripture memory, absolutely. You've got to have Scripture memory. Your only way you're going to flush out the lies is to put the truth in. The only way you put truth in is to put the truth in and keep it in there, and you're going to do that through Scripture memory. Gratitude. I practice this every day. I haven't always done this. It's made a huge difference in my mindset. When I go to bed, it made a difference in how I see life is I practice writing out three things, three simple things sometimes. If you looked at my gratitude list, you'd go, Mike, you're grateful for that? That's so mini- Minimal. It changes my perspective. Foundational, if you look at it, study word, prayer, worship, those are absolutely, you cannot get away from those. Everyone has to have those. Now, if you look at those categories, the way I have lumped them together, foundation, 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 is the word of God has got to be in me, prayer has got to be coming out of me, and worship has got to be expressed in me and through me, okay? That's absolutely a must, 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 must. Focus, focusing my mind, externally, Internally, there's a balancing act that has to go on. Why do I say all this? Because I am trying to be incredibly intentional about preparing myself, creating spaces and times that I can meet with God, creating a sanctuary in myself so that He will want to dwell with me, so that I can connect with Him. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 22. We see it taking shape day after day, a holy temple built by God. All of us built into it a temple in which God is quite at home. I want God to be quite at home inside of Mike McDaniel. Here's an acrostic I want you to write down, and I'm going to demo it in in a moment. One, it's pray. Just pray. Think of pause. Think of reflect. Think of ask, think of yield, okay? Pause, reflect, ask, yield. That pause is so important, and this is, nobody taught me this for years and years and years of my faith. The pause is so important. That's when I control my breathing, I control my thoughts, I regathered my my scattered senses, and I bring it to a focus, okay? Then I start moving from there into reflection mode. I'm reflecting, I'm reflecting on, uh, on uh, and some people even look at this, call this meditation. In a Christian version, reflecting, meditation, but even in scriptures, in the Old Testament, the word meditation is used 58 different times. It has two different meanings, two different ways the scripture talks about meditation is whenever you focus on what God has said, time in the word, okay, focus on what God has said and what God has done. What God has said and what God has done. Focusing on what God has said and what God has done. So now I'm pausing. I'm now reflecting. God, what have you said to me today? What, what, where have I missed it today? God, how's my life in tune with you today? I'm asking questions in reflection mode. And then I'm going to move from that into uh, actively responding. So let's talk about actively responding. So now I've prepared myself. Now, I'm going to actively respond to God. Where do you see this in this passage? You look at verse 33, and you find where Moses finished the work. 
And then the Shekinah glory of God that we talked about last week, that we talked about the cloud by day and the fire by night, and we talked about that and leading them out, that same cloud, that same presence of God is now in chapter 40, and it's in this tabernacle, this sanctuary that they've created for God to be at and with and a part of. And they're not moving until that cloud moves. And they're not, they're not doing anything until that cloud tells them to do anything. So now I've got to be asking, pause, reflect, ask. I'm asking, God, what do you want me? What, what do you want me to change? God, what are you, how are you speaking to me? Three questions that you might ask is, God, what are you teaching me about me? God, what are you teaching me about you? God, what are you asking me to do because of what you are saying through your word? Again, the word is how God speaks to us. Um, one of my favorite pastors of old, Warren Wiersbe, he said this, when you open your Bible, God opens his mouth. If you're not opening this, guess what? No wonder you have a hard time hearing God. This is how he speaks. Finding the sacred space, sacred time that you can meet with God, and that you can listen in. Listen, this is the same way Jesus lived his life. It says in John chapter 5, the son could do nothing of himself, for whatever the, what, but only what he saw the father doing. For whatever the father does, the son also does. Basically, he's sitting there, he's watching what God's doing, and he's joining. He's asking, God, where are you showing yourself? Where are you showing up? How do I need to obey? That's how Jesus lives his life. Pray, pause, or reflect. A, ask. ask what, are you, what are you teaching? What are you doing? What are you doing in me? Um, number three, then it's absolute obedience. Absolute obedience. Is creating sacred space and time in my life when I go, okay, God, whatever you ask of me. If you read through chapter 40, 14 times, God said, you shall do this. You shall do this. So everybody who says that God's always a killjoy God, don't do this, don't do God says 14 times, you shall do this. And the last part of the chapter, I love it because Moses responds to every single one of those. And it says this, as the Lord had commanded You shall do this as the Lord commanded. You shall do this as the Lord. You see this response to God? You see this obedience to God? Look at verse 16. And Moses did according to all that the Lord commanded him. So he did it. When I come to God and I pause... And I reflect, and I ask, God, what are you you showing? What are you doing? What are you you up to? And then I yield and say, okay, God, you're asking me to do. For me not to obey him, you you know this because many of your parents, is to disobey. Obedience is not optional. It is absolutely the mark of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Most Christians are already so fat in their head because of their disobedience to the obedience that God has called them to. 
What is the last thing that God called you to do? What is your next step of obedience? It's the last thing God asked you to do. What's your next step of obedience? What's he asking you to do? What's he calling you to do? Why is this so important? Because I'm not going to go any further until I take the next step, which is the last step he asked me to take. And if I don't take it because I don't like it, because I have my own plans, because I don't want to go into the desert, I want to go on the, on the scenic coastal highway, God, last week's message, then I miss out. Oswald Chambers says in my most first eyes, God will never reveal more truth about himself to you until you have obeyed what you already, what you know already. See, we have a swipe left, swipe right culture. You don't swipe left on God. It's a swipe right. Yes, I'm going where you're telling me to go. I'm yielding to what you ask me to do. But I'm afraid we look more like the disciple, the people of the first century and the 21st century. Close with this before I move into some uh, demonstration. And this is so important on the yielding part. God, you've revealed this truth to me. I've paused, I've reflected, I've asked. Now, am I going to yield? Because this is what happened with Jesus multiple times in the New Testament. Is Jesus would literally have people come to, I want to follow you, Jesus. Good, thank you. Does that mean like Instagram, follow me, like my photos? Does it mean follow me? This is what a couple times it says. It says, I want to follow you, but let me first. I want to follow you, Jesus, but I, I got some things I, I want to do first. I got, I, I got my plans but let me first. We have a problem with, but let me first. Following, I want to follow you, Jesus. To yield to Jesus, to where he's walking among us, as it says in Leviticus 28, 12. I will walk among you, and you and will be your God, and you will be my people. I'm going to be with you, but only if I can be your God. What is your favorite book and what's your favorite chapter in the book of Psalms? Somebody. 23, I heard it. All right. Now, who said that? Raise your hand. All right, right here. I'll say Vicki. I'll blame it on you, Vicki. Did we talk about this beforehand? No, we did not talk about it. Shake your head the other way. We did not talk about this beforehand. All right. We did not. I promise you. <laughs> I said this the last service. I did the same thing, and they, I think it was Psalm 113. I, I, I say that that's important because I want to show you today, and this is what I've never done before. I want to show you today in a couple of minutes what a sacred space and a sacred time in your life could look like Monday through Friday, Monday through Saturday, Monday through Sunday. And then you come in here and you bring your worship that you've worshiped all week long. Your cup is full. Your hands are full. Your life is full. You're, you, you've had this awesome relationship with God all week long. And then you come in this room and you pour it out in worship. And I start my week in here and I go out and I do it again. But my time with God doesn't just happen in this room. 
It happens in the stillness of my living room, a sacred place and a sacred time. And I'm going to demonstrate, I'm going to literally talk out loud everything that's going on up in my head, okay? And the only reason I'm doing that, normally I'm quiet in my little chair in the living room, because I want you to hear what I'm hearing. I want you to know what I'm thinking, okay? So those are the rules. The second rule is this is not Netflix. So don't watch me, okay? I'm going to move this table. It's not just you watch me. This is you participate in this, okay? You're in on this. So the first thing we're going to do is pause. And I said that may be the most important thing because if you don't pause, regather your scattered senses. If you don't pause, slow down your heart rate, work on that breathing, and I'm going to breathe deep and long, deep and long, then I'm not going to be able to bring my senses, my mind, my heart together, okay? I'm still going to be over here chasing rabbits or jumping monkeys, as um, uh, Henry Nowen called them. i got to bring my thoughts in. So what we're going to do is we're going to breathe deep start, to start with, and you're going to participate. So what we're going to do when we breathe, breathe deep, close your eyes, focus, on this. I want us to pray. Inhale, exhale, these words. Be still and know I am God. Exhale, be still and know I am God. Every time we're going to take off a word. So we'll go inhale, be still and know I'm God. Exhale, be still and know I'm God. Be still and know. Be still and know. Be still. Be still. Be. Be. But you focus on your relationship with God. Be still and know. Still and know. Be still. Would you be here with us? Father, as we look at Psalm 23.
The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Now, parenthetical statement. Psalm 23 is not that long, but what I will do sometimes is I will stop reading as soon as I sense God is talking. God has said something. God has sparked something. I can literally quote Psalm 23 from beginning to end from memory. But when you read the Scriptures, read it again for the first time. Always try to have fresh eyes. And when I was reading this time, the first pop for me was He leads me. Do you notice I went back and then read it again? He leads me. I pause. I reflect. I ask. What does it teach me about God? What does it teach me about myself? What's he asking me to do? Father, I don't know that I've allowed you to lead me fully and completely. In every area of my life. In the grand picture, yeah. The big decisions, yes. But in my thoughts, I don't think so. My emotions, I don't think so. Father, I confess that right now. I bring that to you. That my mind, if I'm going to have the mind of Christ, I need you to lead my thoughts. Because I know my thoughts lead to my words. My thoughts lead to my actions. My thoughts lead to my emotions. Father, I need you to lead me. And I am sorry for leading myself. Father, this this is as real as I can be in front of your people. 
have beside me the basket that sits literally beside my, my chair in my living room. And it has pens and pencils and scripture memory cards and my journal Bible and different things. But I always have a fresh moleskin journal with me. Um, it is, um, I've got them for a decade back. Literally before we started Grace Point, I've got these. That and what I what I what I do each day that I'm journaling, and not, I don't journal every day. I miss days. Is I will put in here the date, this passage I'm focusing on. Right, and I I, I write notes to myself. I, I write what I'm hearing, what I'm processing through questions that maybe I'm struggling with, or or things. It becomes a part of this is this is part of my soul. I figure if, if the God of the universe is going to step into my life and speak, the least I could do is write it down. Because I might, might actually want to refer to it later on in my life. So literally on the front end is, is where I've journaled through the Scriptures. On the back is where I keep my gratitude. I haven't always been doing this. I've only been doing this since October. But it's really revolutionized how I sleep, how I think, how I process through anxiety. I write out my gratitudes. I write, try to write three gratitude statements. Every, every simplest, the biggest things every day, and it literally they, they end up meeting. The journal ends up meeting together. Um, and I was, if I would take the time today, because of this right here, I would be leaning in on. The Lord is my shepherd. If He's my shepherd, He's leading me. If he's not leading me, then he's not my shepherd. I am my own shepherd. And I need to make that right. So then I start thinking of where do I need to yield to that right now? Whenever you have these moments with God, they fill you up. They keep you going. I promise you, I could pull these off the shelf for over a decade and look at, on this date, God said this to me, and I've, I've acted on it or didn't act on it or messed it up or something like that. It's a part of, of, of my journey. I pray, I pause, I reflect, I ask, and I yield. God, where, where, what are you calling me to do? What's my next step of obedience? I didn't know I was going to, share this today because what happens when you get your cup full worship just comes out when God works we worship but literally I was sitting there before the first service before I got up on stage in fact Andrew was up here on the stage already and I remembered the words of this song this hymn this Christmas carol 18th century this is what it says angels we have heard on high sweetly singing o'er the plains and the mountains in reply, echoing their joyous strains. Angels we have heard on high, sweetly, sweetly, through the night, and the mountains in reply, echoing their brief delight. Gloria in excels his Deo. And I just thought, if the angels are singing and the mountains are singing, why am I not singing? Maybe because he's not working. Why isn't he working? Maybe because I'm not giving him the space and I'm not giving him the time.
I give him the time and the space. He wants to dwell with me. Would you bow your heads with me? The band's going to come, and they're going to just sing over us. You can stay seated. You can stand and sing. You can kneel, turn your seat into an altar if you want to. Father God, thank you. From Genesis to Revelation, you want to be with us. You pursue us. But at the same time, because this is a reciprocal relationship, it's not just you coming to us, it's us coming to you. Draw near to God and He will draw near to you. Seek me and you will find me when you search for me with all your heart. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Father, we start with all these things. We need to seek you. Father, in this space, help us to seek you. Thanks for listening to the Grace Point Church Podcast. To stay up to date on all things GPC, follow us at Grace Point NWA on Facebook or Instagram. As you go, be people who show and share Jesus in everyday conversations with everyday people. Live Sent.